Greetings, Questa, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the Meddlesome Meeples. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. So, Richard, what games are we going to be talking about this week in the Quest Report? We are going to talk about Role Player. That's R O L L Player. It's a pun. Uh, yeah, I'll play on words. Yes. <laughs> and also Star Trek Ascendancy. Excellent. Heather, where are you going to be? Music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big surprise. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Pretty Boy Floyd, amongst other things. Why do you bother asking me? <laughs> well, you know. I politeness let's move on (laughs) (laughs) there's no good answer to that there is nothing i can say to that that's not going to get me in trouble with somebody um me yes (laughs) (laughs) and with us is heather (laughs) potty on wayne we're also that's that's instinctive (laughs) (laughs) it's my turn to talk about a book this week in tome talk Mm. so i'm going to be talking about guards guards the, the first uh, book of the Ankmore Pork City Watch set of Discworld books by Terry Pratchett. That I do know! Mm. Yes, <laughs> I knew it as well. It's it's weird. And in Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, we're going to be bringing another big issue to the debating table. Mm-hmm. Who would win in a combat between the Master of Magnetism, Magneto, and Darth Sidious, also got, known as Palpatine yeah. of the Star Wars Galactic Empire. It's, uh, it gets surprisingly grisly. Surprisingly? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting it for one thing. I, I wasn't expecting it, was Matt, it to get grim. Matt made it grim. <laughs> no, it was more Magneto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to blame Matt for his antics. <laughs> yeah. So, what's everyone been up to this week? Uh, I went to a gig in uh, Manchester. I went to see Torres in a small basement in uh, under the soup kitchen, which was cool. great. Yeah, it was nice. You enjoyed that? Yeah, yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, and I also been playing um, season two of. Batman the Telltale series and that has been slightly harrowing because you make decisions and it turns out bad for everyone Batman. But yeah I know it's pretty dark it's not known for being joyful <laughs> yeah that's the thing yeah as people know I, I, I'm a bit of a Star Trek fan so mm. I've been started playing Star Trek online again recently yeah that's um, good trying to advance my Federation character a little bit I'm normally on there on my own so. yeah. <laughs> well with the other thousand people <laughs> yeah. I play it's, it's just, just for you somewhere, someone like... somewhere is going I want to close this server down but Richard won't go home yeah I just won't log off <laughs> now I'm glad someone else I know is on it now yeah, so, yeah. you forgot Alex uh, no no Alex is on it sometimes but ah. uh, he's he's kind of got a his own life now so like stop doing that <laughs> just play games <laughs> I've uh, I was I've too been... busy having a life to play games <laughs> well that's your mistake yes know, yes you know, no one made you have a life um, I've been <laughs> you asked me yeah you kind of proposed <laughs> <I think. laughs> so really this is all on you it was, it was all downhill for you from there wasn't it you said yes and it's been downhill think since. of all the games people could have played man <laughs> yeah. I have a I have a really cool games room and Sweet. um I've been actually just. Do you remember the Fighting Fantasy books? Like Fighting choose, Fantasy. Yeah. Well, oh, like, I know Choose Your Own Adventure. Choose Your Own Adventure. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like that, but in fantasy setting. Hello. Hello, hey, everyone. Here's Perrin. He's what, just turned up. What have you been doing? You've been playing games? Yeah. What games have you been playing? Zombies. No, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Monkey, yeah. you've been playing Sonic. Yeah, you've, you've been, been playing, playing Sonic, Sonic Unleashed. Yeah, Sonic Unleashed. Yeah, Minecraft. No. <laughs> oh, you're talking about Minecraft now. Are you? Oh yeah, yeah, he's talking about Minecraft. Sweet, you've been playing Minecraft. Yeah. Cool. You like Minecraft, don't you, sweetheart? Yeah, so I've been playing the, some of the digital versions of the fighting fantasy games. So those were by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston. Were kind of like choose your own adventure books, but you, mm-hmm. you get like stats as well. So you would roll uh, dice to determine what your skills are, your stamina, your luck, etc. Um, and then you'd go off on an adventure, and you might find things as you go. And, and it's these, these are the digital versions of those books, mm-hmm. and it's so much fun. Right. So I've been playing three of them in particular. I've been playing Starship Traveler, right. which um, you have a crew on your ship, and you get sucked into a wormhole. You're part of the Astro Navy. You've got to try and f- explore and find a way to get back. So you've you've got to try and find out where the next wormhole is going to be when it's going to be there and try and find your way there mm-hmm. and it is lots of fun because you're going out to different planets and exploring like a star trek crew you go on away teams so you're picking officers and things and it's again it's the same thing you you roll to set up your initial weapons and shields you roll to set up your stamina look skill etc and then in combat you're going to roll to see who's you know who gets hits etc and it's just so much fun mm. um so that's one of them I've been I've been going through. Appointments with Fear, which is kind of like a a, a comic book superhero type version, mm-hmm. and Forest of Doom, which is a, a fantasy version as you're going through this uh, forest to try and find these parts of the d- uh, dwarf king's hammer. You know, it's, so it's uh, they're so much fun though, and it is just like having those fans fighting fancy choose your own adventure Sounds books like in front of you. A nice forest. Yeah, and I got a bundle of them on the uh, for my iPad on on offer. So I had a great deal of fun doing that this week as well. I thought you were quiet. <laughs> well, something's got to occupy my time. He was on a, an adventure. <laughs> yeah. I was just sitting there in my chair, happily exploring away. Yes. I know, you were so happy all week. <laughs> That's all it takes. Funny that. That was, that was yeah. so much fun. That's why I sent you that picture of the crew with you as my science You've officer. Been really I had no idea what that was, but I I liked it that you put me as a science officer. So <laughs> I was happy. I didn't really care what it was. It didn't made no sense to me, but it was good. The um originally when that character with the science officer was meant to be called uh, Boyd Zerg. As opposed to Zoidberg. Oh, Zoidberg. Oh, right. Zoidberg. Yeah. yeah. I say they they play fast and loose with licensing in that game. Mm, well, that's what I like. Yeah, I like it. it's just up to the limits of copyright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag smash up. Did Heather do some things this week? Yeah, apparently I did nothing. Actually, I probably did do nothing. I've just been running and I've started journaling. That's pretty much it. Journaling. Yeah. So you should know exactly what you did this week. <laughs> it's pretty empty. Oh. Um, oh, bullet point ones just to kind of <laughs> bring out the crazy. <laughs> and you've been running as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's only three, to- oh, four times now, isn't it? Trying to do that three times. You have zombies run. No, yeah. Um, I've not tried it yet. Oh, right. I've not tried it, it yet, right. no. But um, I'm going to try and play that next week. Or play it. <laughs> yeah, it's just something to listen to while you run, really. So, yeah, yeah it's I've only built up to four miles so far. <laughs> that's that's enough for that. It took yeah. me an hour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. So, yeah. I mean, it's not as exciting as you guys, sorry. <laughs> I need to do exciting things so I've got things to say. There you are. We haven't kicked the dog this week, so that's always oh, good. Oh, stop it. It's... It shouldn't have been hiding in the leaves, and it was tiny. It's all right, small dog. <laughs> going to get kicked. 
We're also going to be uh, hearing our interview that we did with Key Marcello, the ex-Europe guitarist who recently released the Key of Hearts album. So we've got that to look forward to later in the show as well as our normal Bard's Corner. So let's get on with the show. Let us do that. Welcome to the Quest Report, and we are going to talk about Role Player, which is a game we played um, a couple of weeks ago now, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, it's a bit of a, a different take on the fantasy type game because we're not actually going on a quest. It's more mm. that we are preparing to go on a quest. It's like they've made a game about every aspect of things <laughs> now. So basically, it's um, it's kind of like a Euro, isn't it, in itself in the yeah. way you play it. But with the theme of like a, an Ameritrash sort of RPG game. <laughs> Ameritrash. Yeah, it's a little bit like if you're going to start a game like uh, Baldur's Gate. No, what's it called? Yeah, it's Baldur's Gate. That kind of thing. Um, and at the beginning, you kind of keep clicking to roll for different attributes <laughs> to try and get the best ones. That's what this game is. Um, you have a character. Well, you have this kind of character sheet type thing that will just have what species you are yeah. on it and it's double sided so one side's male one side's female yeah so you can just pick which one you want but then you will also get a class and a backstory and they're random aren't they you get, get them yeah, dealt we out did, that's how we did those we dealt them out randomly so you've got your <coughs> class which could be I mean they're all, all the class cards are double sided as well so yeah. you could be like a barbarian warrior or you could be a cleric a ranger a paladin you know, a thief, any of those sort of things. I think I was a human paladin when we yeah. did it. And so I, I quite liked that. It kind of matched. Yeah. yeah. And then in, the other things you get for your character to start off is a backstory, and you get an alignment, which is on a card, and you get an alignment card. Now, what all these do are these are effectively your abilities and how you are going to score points at the end of the game. Yes. Because your class uh, card will give you uh, like an, a particular dice that you are. Um, connected to so for example for a thief it's a black dice for a barbarian it's a red dice that means at the end of the game you're going to score points for having those dice on your uh, character sheet yeah uh, dice of that color I think that's a little and bit yeah it also tells you which attributes you need to get certain scores for that's the thing. and that's the, one of the key things in this game so that, that's that's what the object of it isn't it like yeah. make your character into like the best version of that class that you can. Yeah. And um, so, and yeah, there's different attributes are more important to different ones, aren't they? Yeah, so strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Uh, <laughs> and some some of them, you have to get an exact score on three dice. Yeah, sometimes it's between a certain amount. But yeah. yeah. So you spend a lot of time trying to manipulate your dice or move your dice around to get the right scores once you've placed them, which you can do by using different abilities. Uh, but yeah, your class will give you a special ability anyway. As well as that, you get a backstory. Now we've just said that with the class cards, uh, you have you they give you the scores for your, your different attributes you're trying to go for. Mm -hmm. The class cards uh, tell you which order your dice need to be in, which colours need to be on which row in which spot, and you have to kind of match those as well to get points. So that's another yeah, aspect to it. That's just uh, another way you can get points. So. The first in order of importance is like getting your attributes right, but yeah. if you've got the right colour dice for them, that's even better because mm. you get more points for that. Um, and you get the backstory. Your then there's alignment. The alignment, yeah, and that's the kind of chaotic evil or lawful good, that kind of classic kind mm. of fantasy alignments that you get. And they're labelled under things like scoundrel, 
Arbiter, Protector, Hermit, all sorts of different things. But all in all, you end up with four different things that make your character. So I think first time I played this, because I've played this a couple of times now. This was weird. I was like a Dragonkin noble monk, I think yeah, I yeah. was. I remember you like being that. something religious was... and you were like some kind of dragon monster. Yeah. <laughs> it was also a, a guardian or something like that. It was kind of like a really strange combination and that but that's one of the things I love about this is when you start off you end up with like a really bizarre it's like you kind of selected random on everything on a computer game it's just really fun and then you're trying to that tells you what your objectives are going to be for the game so that you're trying to manipulate the dice into the right positions and, and I love the it right when a scores. game uses a dice dice in a weird way like yeah. it's a bit like Alien Frontiers and also like Biblios it's mm. like you you are rolling the dice on this game yeah. but then you are kind of putting the dice in different places and then like they're your numbers to do things with yeah. after that yeah and on each each round everyone gets to choose one of the dice that's available in front of them in turn order don't they so that's mm. it's, it's really interesting it is I mean you made a comment when we played this uh, the first time I hope it was good <laughs> well I've, I've, it's, it was one I remembered oh, sorry. Um, that you kind of you got all the fun of making a character mm. and then you kind of want to take that character on an adventure yeah but the game's over <laughs> yeah the game's over at that point <laughs> so it might be good to use this to start a campaign or something yeah. on, on a different game <laughs> yeah. yeah with a, a really weird campaign that would be yeah but it and would were, be a, a fun idea i think i said that quite early on when we were playing mm. it but um i did enjoy this a lot more than i thought i would yeah i thought well, this is like it's like taking the least fun part of a quest um, but then I kind of got it after a while what we were actually doing was it was quite enjoyable actually yeah. you also get um, points for scoring you score points for having certain armour sets certain weapons which also give you abilities can be worth points that was particularly certain traits good. can give you points as well so there is there's a few different aspects to this but yeah it's very much a Euro with an RPG theme hmm. um, I've played this a few times I've enjoyed it every time I don't feel when I played it it was worth the the, the RRP that I paid for it because I pay, I think I paid something like fifty five pounds for the game. I wouldn't I have didn't, guessed that price for this. I no, I don't. I, it feels like it's a maybe a thirty pound game for the dice. <laughs> yeah. Many many dice. There is, and I I love this about it. You get a huge bag of dice, mm-hmm. and the way the game works is on your at the turn, the person who's the starting player for that round will draw. You know, however many dice uh, there are for the number of players plus one, right. roll them and then put them on the initiative cards. So then yeah. you're choosing a dice and an initiative card together, hmm. and then everyone in turn gets to place that dice on their character sheet. Mm-hmm. And I love that part of the game. I love getting out a load of dice and rolling them. Yeah, um, and I love the fact that we've got all these different coloured dice and a huge bag of dice is always good. Yeah. Um, same if you get a huge bag of meeples in a game like. Uh, five tribes and you're tribes. drawing them out and placing them you know it's all all good stuff yeah but yeah and but then you've got the market phase where everyone's buying cards and i quite like the way that works because you have again a number of players plus one as the amount, amount of cards in the market and then at the end of each round whatever's not bought is gone mm. uh, but there's always options because if you can't afford to buy something from the market you can scrap a card from the market and get gold yeah you know and some of the things that you're getting will be like traits and stuff weren't yeah. they and like skills and this is where your alignment comes in as well, because that's how mm. you move. 
the alignment. Like certain things, you might buy it, it might be good, it might help you, but it might move you towards evil. <laughs> yeah. And if like you're going for good characters, yeah, it can make you evil. And that might be the wrong way. So you'll end up with less points in the end. So um, you feel, I felt a bit like my character was doing stuff at that point. Mm. It's like, well, my character just went out and did a evil thing or a good thing. Mm. And so it did feel like they were actually, it didn't just feel like they were at home just getting their attributes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, I would say, a, a fun game. Yeah. Um, it's the right length, I think, because it finishes, you know you've only got a certain amount of rounds because you've you've got to fill the dice and once the everyone places their last dice and then you're going to be getting a dice at the same time then it it finishes automatically so it's not a long game yeah. it's an easy game to learn mm-hmm. but you do have quite a number of options on your turn as to what am I going to do what which dice am I going to take which initiative do I want which card do I want to get from the market yeah which ability am I going to use which trait skill I'm going to use you know is a good thing the um yeah each attribute has a different ability doesn't it when you mm. place a dice there and that's that was hard to work out I found that, that's yeah. where the strategy comes in because you think well I can put this one here and use the ability but then I might want that ability in a bit and I've used up all yeah. all of my ones of that one so I can never use that again because once those three dice have been placed then uh, you're pretty much gone but there are uh, one of the, one at least one of the classes their ability is that when they place a dice, they can use any of those. So that's a very powerful advantage. Yeah, yeah, you get uh, different things. I, one of the things that was interesting as well was with the attribute scores yeah. that are tallied up by the column of by the row of three dice. Each race has uh, penalties and bonuses. So every race will have a plus two in one row and a minus two in another row, yeah. except for the humans, which get neither a bonus nor a penalty. Mm-hmm. So, But you've still got to take that into account when you're factoring in you know, where you're positioning your dice and everything. So that can make it more challenging to get the dice in the right order. So that's another aspect of the game. Personally, I, I would recommend this, but I wouldn't recommend paying over £50 for it. Get it second hand. Get it That's sec- our recommendation. Yeah. Go into this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My copy is currently available on eBay. But <laughs> I'm joking. No, I, I no actually, we probably will play this again at some point. I would play we? this yeah. again, definitely. Um, and I did enjoy it. I do think it's overpriced for what it is, but it is definitely an enjoyable game. So mm. it depends on, on your value. I mean, you do get a huge number of dice. I think if you wanted to go out and buy a load of dice, it might be economical to buy the game <laughs> and yeah. just have a ton of multicolor, you know, different coloured dice. But this is one that I enjoyed. I enjoyed it as well. Yeah, like I said, I was a bit sceptical at first because, um, yeah, it seemed like it was too focused on the character building aspect. Um, but yeah, once I kind of got into the strategy i kind of i found it more immersive than i thought i would so um it is quite an interesting little game to play if you like things that are in a fantasy setting then mm. it is very good and i do quite enjoy that in a in a game it's like i like sci-fi and fantasy for for games obviously normally i'm more into sci-fi but i think that in a board game setting fantasy is appropriate (laughs) when you're sitting around with these flagons of ale this is great and I do think um, for me you know I really like the randomness of it Mm. I think that might really annoy some people that their class and their backstory and 
uh, their race doesn't really make a lot of sense. I love it when it doesn't but make I sense. But I love it when it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. It's just because it, it's, I say it's random, and then based on uh, based on that, it's going to affect how I'm going to play. So I'm going to be constantly trying to do something different mm. um, and trying to get things into different positions. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, and right up until the last placement of the die, you're trying to figure out how best to organise your dice on your different columns and which yeah. which uh, attribute scores you're going to try and go for if you've not been able to get them all and everything. So, you know, I, it, it's not like it's an, an easy game in the sense of, oh, well, I know exactly what I'm doing after the first round and, you know, I'm just basically mechanically doing things in the game. Mm-hmm. You learn the rules very quickly, but after that you're thinking about how to maximise each turn. Mm-hmm. So... It is interesting. The randomness makes it more replayable, in my opinion. Um, I don't think I'd want to play this if I was actually going, oh, right, well, this um, class card goes with this backstory and it all makes perfect sense. The randomness of having, like, a noble dragon or a a thief dragon or something like that. Yeah, if you're picking it yourself, then, yeah. 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 But, yeah, this is an enjoyable game. Mm, Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, Yeah, and it's one I would recommend. Now, if you've been following our show and our various podcasts uh, for a, a while now, you'll know one thing about Richard and myself. We do like a bit of Star Trek. Mm, we uh, do. And uh, for our next quest report, we're going to discuss one of the more recent uh, Star Trek games. It's called Star Trek Ascendancy. Now, this is qu- quite a, 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 a large game. It? It, takes up a, it takes up a bit of space. Yeah, um, I did when we played it. Yeah, it does because you, you and you are taking control of one of the factions in Star Trek. So in the core game, it's a three-player game, and you one person will be the Federation, one person will be the Klingons, and one person will be those pointy-eared Romulan. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, on your and you're basically going to be trying to win the game through one of uh, two ways by either developing your culture to the point where you get five ascendancy tokens which is basically saying that your civilization is the greatest civilization or you're going to go for a military win where you control both the other players home worlds while still controlling your own home world mm-hmm. so the game is initially in the first part of the game and probably a good half of the game if not more all about exploration that taking was... your ships and going out and exploring new planets and new strange new worlds. That bit was to, great. To seek I out really new life that. and new civilizations. Yeah. And uh, our legal team, which doesn't exist yet, will be set up to fight the impending copyright claim. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to discover discussing this. It's all right. I think we're probably safe on it's safe legal grounds. Falls down the box. I mean, you can just read them out. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere a lawyer's looking at this and going, "No." <laughs> so, um, yeah, you start off and you're exploring and you're building your civilization, and eventually you come into contact with the other factions. That was and bad. That's when things get interesting. <laughs> I didn't like it when I met the Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Klingons and the Romulans didn't really get on very well in this game, did they? No. No. And it's really interesting. So the game itself is going to be in different rounds. So you're going to have your initiative round where you're going to be decide, you know, effectively setting up the turn order for that round. Then there's what's called the execution phase. Now that's broken into two parts. Building, where you're going to spend your resources 
to get new ships, build new nodes on different planets, colonize mm. different planets. And then the ex the command phase, which is where you're going to be sending your ships out to do different things. So you're going to be sending them yeah. off to explore, sending them off to attack. You're going to be sent, trying to take control of new planets. You're going to be uh, trying to launch new research projects, really like the commissioning fact, yeah. new fleets, things like that. And that's the really the meat of the game, isn't it? The really well, that's why you're part. actually making them do stuff. And it does feel like you're giving orders because mm. you have a certain amount of command tokens. Each time you do something, you turn one of them over. So basically, you have a certain amount of orders you can give that yeah. turn. Um, it can increase if you get more star bases, can't mm. it? So uh, I like that because certain it's not like you can just do anything. That you can do it also increases your number of command tokens. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, the fact that you were turning those over, it's like you can order them to do a certain amount of things like go to warp or drop out of warp or form a fleet, like you say. Yeah, um, I found that aspect of it quite thematic because mm. you really did feel like you were kind of giving orders um, like as a, a leader um, yeah and like I say before that you had the build phase and it's quite nice to have that as a separate thing mm. where you are just um, kind of deciding what you're going to uh, build on your various planets and yeah assign, assigning research so yeah I quite enjoyed the way that was broken up like that mm. Mm. and each faction has its own sort of bonuses and restrictions. So, for example, the Federation can't just walk into a or flying to a, a sector and invade a planet. They can initiate starship battles. Is that the Prime Directive? Yeah, the Prime Directive. <laughs> yeah. They're not allowed to invade oh, planets Federation. or colonize pre-warp inhabited systems, which mm. is thematic to the Federation. My guys were um, suspicious. Apparently. But the Federation get bonuses for going off and exploring. And yeah. And that's really what they want to be doing early in the game. The Klingons. They have a, a restriction that they have death before dishonor, so they can't um, s surrender a planet and they can't retreat from battle. No, otherwise you go to Grethor. But they do get culture uh, bonuses nice. by defeating ships in battle because they are ever victorious. That is basically their culture, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. And the Romulans? Yeah, my guys, the downside is they are suspicious. So whenever you receive a trade agreement, exhaust it immediately. <laughs> Refresh it the next round's upkeep as normal. So we didn't really do any of that, did we? We met each other and still started fighting, so uh, we didn't have any trade agreements. But if we did, I wouldn't get the benefit straight away because it takes me a while to trust. No one trusts the Romulans yeah. either. But that's, <laughs> that's, so that's another matter. But my good thing was cultural superiority, which still sounds like a bad thing. They're pretty arrogant, these guys. Yeah. Um, take one culture when you complete an advancement picturing a culture token right yeah so some of my technologies if i researched them they had a culture symbol on them and i would just get a culture mm. straight away so i did actually get quite a few cultures from mm. doing that so that did help me quite a lot that one but one of the things i particularly like about all this is the fact that each of the um, different factions bonuses their advantages their disadvantages and even the technologies that they can acquire mm -hmm. through research in the game yeah. feels very thematic mm. to the Star Trek universe and to those factions within the Star Trek universe. It did feel very thematic. That did, yeah. And I, that's one of the, and I love a game that that holds its theme like that. And the expansions, um, we've only played the base game, so we'll talk about the expansions possibly on another qu quest report. Mm. But what we, I've got the Cardassian one, and looking at that. And looking at the other, the um, the Ferengi expansion again, it sort of holds true to their cultures and their races. I'm just going to read the titles of these. The Cardassians have occupation and annexation. 
<laughs> that is basically the whole thing. Because yeah. for the Cardassians, because they're occupiers, uh, to be able to produce resources on a planet, they have to have a ship in orbit, mm. basically to force the poor Bajorans yeah. to, <laughs> to work in the mines. You know, yeah. so that's really interesting. Also, one of the other things that are quite interesting in this is the way the fleets work. Oh yeah, that's, that's great. quite an elegant system, isn't it? You've, mm. uh, so instead of having loads of ships on, on the map, you can place them onto a fleet card, get the fleet benefit, and then you can give an order to an entire fleet at once yeah. rather than ordering every ship individually. But each fleet that you produce has different abilities. Yeah. Um, and they're double-sided, so you can choose to just shove a load of ships into More a fleet. Ships. Yeah. Or you can have them as a specialised fleet. Yeah, so, I had a science fleet. That was quite good. It was only four ships. Yeah. But it, uh, it was quite good at facing hazards. Yeah. And there's a lot of them, like a horrible nebula. I have to, I roll fewer dice for it basically, so yeah, that helped. And you um, had I had uh, a group of Klingon marauders, um, <laughs> hated which them. gives you resources when you destroy enemy ships in battles. Mm-hmm. Battle groups, uh, which you re-roll to hit rolls of one in space battles, and assault, which give me again the, the, the re-roll ability when it came to planetary invasions. Well, they're pretty aggressive, man. They are, but the, we are Klingons. You know? Yeah, I mean, I was doing science out there. <laughs> yeah, the um, Federation as well. They have uh, some pretty useful abilities. Like virtual signaling. Signaling. Sorry. They can make three <coughs> battle groups because they're the backsides of their fleet cards. <laughs> are all battle group sides. Battle back sides. But they also have a science fleet, which gives the same ability as, as yours. Yeah, that was cool. They have colonisation um, fleets, which allows them to disband a ship from the fleet and disband the, uh, the fleet to immediately con- colonise an undeveloped system without spending a culture. Nice. Which um, is very good because you need to spend culture tokens to get ascendancy tokens. And then they've got the diplomatic um, fleet, which allows them to re-roll hegemony rolls, which means that when they're trying to take over a planet without attacking it and uh, without uh, wasting the planet's resources in, in, a, in a battle... Kind of culture takeover. Yeah, it? it's a very, very powerful ability, which, again, just fits in very nicely with the idea of the Federation going out and absorbing other planets into the Federation, so mm. it feels thematic. Yeah. Um. I really like the way that the command system works, like Richard said. Mm. I really like the way that the, the battles work with the different abilities and bonuses that both get. Plus, you can spend uh, research points to improve the, your ship's weapons, which means that you're hitting on a lower number on the dice, so you've got a better chance to hit. And you can in- spend research to increase your shields, yeah. which means you, you can survive nebulas and things more easily, and it, ma- it makes um, it harder for other players to destroy your ship so Mm. there's a lot of things that i really like in this game yeah i like the way the trade works i like the exploration when you're actually going off to off space lanes and you're um trying to you're drawing a planet to see what's there and then you're drawing a an exploration card that tells you what you find on there and some of those are and all of those are based on things that happen in various uh star trek tv series yeah so you get a planet uh that you draw randomly it might be a planet, or it might be a nebula, or something horrible. But you also then draw a card of what goes on there, yeah. and yeah, like you say, you can recognise it as being stuff that you saw in a Star Trek mm. episode. But then it will be on a random planet. So, like, I know I remember I occupied Riser at one point, and I, thought, I just I quite liked that. <laughs> that was pretty good. But um, I think I, that one was nothing happened there did it it wasn't uh, no, it, was, it was just like a it was virgin territory but yeah yeah that's what they call it isn't it yeah which is difficult to find on riser 
But yeah, yeah, tried very hard to find that. <laughs> but um, sometimes you get a planet that's got really good resources, and um, you can build a node there and like build a mining thing. But maybe there is a warp one civilization mm. there or something, and you have to uh, kind of deal with them before you can occupy it. And but you had one that was quite near to Kronos that yeah. you just parked a ship there for ages because like you didn't want to destroy the stuff that was already there, but you wanted the planet. But yeah. <laughs> So, quite a while. So this and it's some of them are really fun. So like um, you might draw an exploration card and meet Q, mm. for example, and you might fling your ship across the galaxy. Yeah, that can happen. <laughs> that can yeah. happen. Um, but this, I would say, more than any other game I've uh, played, captured the theme. The only other one that I would say captured it as well, and possibly a slightly more, was Star Trek Fleet Captains, mm. because that did feel like you were taking a crew and you're going out. But this is on a different level to that because in Fleet Captains, as I say, you've got your ships and you've got crews for each of your ships that you're putting together and you're going out and you're doing missions. Whereas with this, it's on a grander scale. You're going out and you're building an empire as opposed to going on on, on missions and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and it does really feel like Star Trek. It does, yeah. I was quite surprised by how much it did feel like Star Trek. And I'll tell you the thing that for me was the best and that was the way you went to warp mm. and it's not like you can say oh I'm ships. going to warp so I go d- 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 across like it's not like you go at import and you can go two spaces but if you go at warp you can go five or something mm. it's actually you go you go into warp you take your little ships which for me was these little Dedevedexes off the board mm. and then to drop out of warp you put them on somewhere else mm. and it really did feel like they had gone to warp and then dropped out of warp and warp became a really cool weird thing that you were doing and it felt so thematic the longer you leave them in warp the the further further they can travel yeah yeah that's it and yeah it's just the fact that they basically can't be attacked and stuff um you really got the sense that um they were actually in this kind of warp bubble Mm. and everything and uh for me that was one of the most thematic things because like ending a turn whilst you were leaving a few ships in warp and then you can decide later where you want them to drop mm. out of warp that was one of my favourite things about mm. it yeah. but I thoroughly I've played this a few times now and I thoroughly enjoyed every game of this i played and it felt like I was playing in the Star Trek universe mm. um, I actually in some ways I was thinking about whether I prefer playing this or TI yeah. because they're on, a, they're on a different level mm. in the sense that TI is also a massive game. Yeah. TI does things better than this. So, for example, TI does politics better. Because uh, yeah. we really love getting the, the, the political cards out and, and having like little votes having and the things. Votes. And, and, yeah. and that's great fun. I love that and bit. this doesn't do any of that. But what it does do is that kind of moving out, exploring new planets. It does that better than Twilight Imperium, mm. in my opinion. And it's... Also, as much as I love the Twilight Imperium universe because of the games that both you know all the games that I've played in there, I've really really enjoyed. I love the Star Trek universe even more, so it grabs me more in that sense. Mm. Um, so I actually would say this is as fun as playing Twilight Imperium, right. but without the depth of Twilight Imperium. Yeah, I would say well. We managed to do this in one evening, didn't we? So yeah. <laughs> that's one advantage. But well, I, I think I did. I think T- TI is definitely a better game because mm. when I was playing TI, even when I was 
if I wasn't doing so well, there were still things I felt like I could do to really affect the outcome of what was going on. This one, I felt a little bit like we'd been kind of, me and Heather really, there was no way we could defeat your Klingon Empire after a while. And I'm, I'm not sure... I'm not sure how I feel about territory control games at the moment because I think this happens quite a lot where one character will start doing well and then you've got so many more resources mm. than the others. It's hard to turn the tide. Whereas with TI, you can do like a load of politics stuff and you can really mess things up still. Um, but I think, yeah, if we if we were a, bit, a little bit more even of who's how many games we've played of it because mm. you've played a few more games than us. But, um, yeah... I think I definitely prefer the gameplay of TI, but I mean this as a light version in the Star Trek universe is great. That's what I think. I think but. for me as well, as you say, TI. We have to spend so long playing TI. With this, there are optional rules that we you can use to make the game faster, and we used some of those. So yeah. we used you know the starting advancements, the random turn uh, order, which meant we weren't bidding for initiative, which would if you choose to bid for initiative can be a major factor because then you're spending your resources to try and get much like in um, Game of Thrones yeah. the board game you're spending resources to try and get the initiative and to get a, a better turn order in your favour risk 22-10 yeah, yeah. And, but spending resources means that it's slowing the game down because then you've not got those resources to do other things mm. um, and having that done randomly and having the extra starting resources, which is an extra optional rule, all of that makes the game flow pretty fast. I mean, we played this inside of three hours, and without those start those optional rules, it would have, I think, added another hour to the play. Yeah, probably would have done. Yeah. So, whereas, th so this is a game we can get out and play in an evening. Ti is not really like that. Yes. So it's yeah. definitely more pl accessible, I think, in that sense than Ti, and I think it also would be less intimidating to a player. For their first game, because Maybe. with TI there's so much you're trying to on your first game of it, so much know. you're trying to. TI get your always head looks smaller than I think it is, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't. Yeah, I think um, this is definitely simpler to play than TI. Oh yeah, 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 definitely, but not the uh, not the initial setup. Mm. I think the initial setup of TI is a little bit easier. I mean, this one we had a measuring tape, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you you starting home wars go on the. On the board, and you start in discs, go on the board, and you have to work out roughly that they're about 18 inches away from each other. Uh, but that's one of the things that does make this really interesting to me because in TI, you've got a board that you're exploring, but everything is set. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, the map is quite flexible. So you start off, and all you've got is your three planets. Your planet. Yeah, so it does feel like you're exploring players. the unknown. Yeah, because yeah. you put, then put in space lanes down to connect one planet to another, and put in a new planet there. And until uh, you, a planet has two space lanes connecting to it, you can move it around. Because yeah, the idea is that, that you bit, might yeah. find a place, but then realise that there's a better way of travelling there. Hmm. So you can move the. And so that is quite an interesting mechanic to me. But there's just so much about this game that I really, really enjoyed, really loved playing huge amount of fun mm -hmm. really captured the theme it's an absolute win-win for me yeah it's definitely one of my favorite games now is it definitely um i think i would need a few more plays to be able to decide on it but i did really enjoy it but um it just depends yeah it depends on the distribution of 
of how uh, how battered different players can get <laughs> at it because uh, just because of the territory control aspect, mm. that's all. But yeah, thematically, it's very good. I do but. get what you mean with that, though, because I mean, in my first play of this, I ended up surrounded by phenomenons. Yeah. I, I had like two planets I controlled, and everything around me was some sort of nebula that was destroying my ships when I went through. Yeah, it's, it's, but it yeah. did mean that I could, I was getting more getting research more tokens. Research, so yeah. you know, but that it's not that even random just... drawing is going to make it different, isn't As it? As territory control goes, it is a very, very good game. I'm mm. just not sure how much I like territory control games at mm. the moment because in general, it, yeah, in general, yeah. But this is um, this is a very enjoyable game to play. Yeah, yeah. I do like this. There we are. Highly recommending this one. Star Trek Ascendancy. Mm-hmm. Be meddlesome, but live long and prosper. In space. The Meddlesome Meeples present music news and reviews in conjunction with Paradise Rock UK. Hi everyone, welcome to Bart's Corner. Okay, so just to start us off, um, a couple of reminders about some of the albums that are out now that you might want to take a look at. There's the Dark Element, self-titled album. This was, of course... The album we spoke about on our previous Bard's Corner featuring Annette Olsen on lead vocals. The Jeff Scott Soto album Retribution, which is, as we said, one of the must-have albums of the year. But there's also Pink Cream 69's album Headstrong, Primal Fear's The Best of Primal Fear. Definitely take a look at that one. Sweet and Lynch Unified and Jessica Wolf's Grounded album. And coming up in the next couple of days is Dante Fox's Six String Revolver. Now we spoke about that one and the Jessica Wolf album on a previous Bard's Corner. Um, you can check out the reviews for that on Paradise Rock. Definitely worth uh, having a listen to. Okay, so uh, a few other bits of the news first. First of all, uh, Jeff Tate's new band Operation Mindcrime, which is slightly on the nose as he was uh, the lead singer of Queensryche. They've got their album, The New Reality. That's out on the 1st of December. That'll be via Frontiers uh, Records. Then they're going to be starting an 11-day tour between the 11th of January and the 21st of January 2018. So be sure to check that out. Ruben Archer, uh, he was the vocalist from Stampede. He used to sing for Wild Horses, Lautrec and Lionheart. So he's got his second album coming out with his uh, personal band, which is Ruben Archer's Personal Sin. This, this album's going to be called Petrol Head. It's out on December the 8th via Toxic Arrow Records. Finally in the news, we've got Dave Kersner. Now, he was the co-founder of the prog rock group Sound of Contact. Now, he's releasing his second solo album. This is uh, featuring members of Genesis, in this case Steve Hackett, uh, members of Pink Floyd, members of Big Big Train and Porcupine Tree. That album's uh, entitled Static, and it's out now. So be sure to look that one up too. Okay, now going on to the album reviews couple of albums we're going to talk about. Uh, in a minute we'll be talking about the new Pretty Boy Floyd album, but first we're going to talk about Barbara Black. Now Barbara Black, it might be an unfamiliar to many of us outside of Spain, but very well known within Spain. She's uh, sang with, uh, Danny, um, with, Jane, with Danny Vaughan from Taiketo. Uh, she's uh, done backing vocals and toured with a number of bands around Spain, and she's won and been nominated for a number of awards within Spain, so very well known locally. Uh, she's got her in- independently released album out, uh, Ad Libitum. It's out now. Now, just a couple of thoughts on this one, because this is 
an independent album, so we don't generally hold it to the same standards of production as an album with a, a full label and the label's resources behind it. But this album does suffer from a bit of an identity crisis. There's a few heavier songs on that album, and then a few almost gospel rock type songs, a few uh, like southern rock style songs. There are some good songs on this album, but the production lets it down somewhat. Um, there's particularly on a few of the tracks, and also the inflection, because obviously Barbara Black is a Spanish singer. Um, most of the songs, not a problem, but there's uh, the odd track where the inflection makes some of the lyrics very difficult to understand. Bessie's song would be the hi highlight of this example, because the, the lyrics are ba barely comprehensible, and it kind of spoils what would have otherwise been a, a good song. But there are a couple of tracks on there that I really enjoy, it's like Ghost, A Girl With No Name, Shiva, um, Alabama Rose. So there are some good songs on there. I had to give that one a 6.5 out of 10. It would have been a much higher rating if it wasn't for the low production quality on some of the songs. Some of the songs, it's not an issue. As I say, Ghost is uh, quite good. In fact, on a few of the songs, the the low quality production gives it a more raw, powerful sound and actually becomes an advantage as opposed to a negative. But still, definitely a few songs on there worth checking out. I'm hoping that um, this independent album will attract the attention of a big label because, as I say, there are some good songs with some good production. It could have been a very good album. The other album we want to talk about today is Pretty Boy Floyd's Public Enemies. Now, this is out on the 1st of December by Frontiers Records. It's sleaze rock. Uh, I would say this is definitely for fans of Motley Crue, Poison, Trickster, Rat, Warren, any of the late 80s sleaze rock or hard rock bands really. It's a very very good album. There's a few tracks on there I particularly liked. High School Queen, American Dream, Girls All Over the World in particular. But all the way throughout it's just an incredibly good, fun, feel good album. I would say it's probably in, in that range. It's one of the uh, most fun albums I've listened to this year. It genuinely made me happy when I was listening to it. So that's out on the 1st of December. I'm giving that one an 8.5 out of 10. I highly recommend you check that out. If you haven't heard of Pretty Boy Floyd, take a look at their back catalogue because they've got some good albums there too. So that's Pretty Boy Floyd, Public Enemies, out on the 1st of December. And hopefully, if you haven't already heard it, please be sure to check out our interview with Key Marcello, which you can find uh, via our podcast, The Bard's Corner Music News. Thank you. Well, that was fun! Let's carry on with the show! The Meeple's Alive! Welcome to Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, where we are once again bringing you a very relevant subject that we're going to talk about and give our opinions on, and this time it is quite similar to something that we have talked about before, when we talked about how the Empire would fare in several different scenarios, but today we're focusing on the Emperor. Mm. Like how Sidious himself. What is his survivability like in a combat situation? And obviously, since it's one guy, he needs to face someone else, and another one person with some powers, and that is going to be Magneto, the master of magnetism. Obviously, it's something Dark Sidious uh, worries about all the time, and how he would fare against him. So, yeah, it is the Emperor versus Magneto. 
let's be honest here. I think the, the reason that we thought this would be a great idea would be was mostly because uh, you know the emperor throws lightning. I just hypothetical. Well, in my mind, I was thinking we've got two people. You know, we've got the um, guy throwing lightning, and I just wanted to see how we'd fare against the master of magnetism. Yeah, they both have powers, so yeah, it's good. I did actually. There's two things I looked up for to research this. I thought I didn't want to like just found loads of other people's opinions on mm. it, but there was just a couple of questions that I wanted to know the answers to to be able to find out who I thought would win. What was your initial thought, though, before we get into into research? I think my initial thought was the Emperor winning. That um, was my initial thought as because well. Because I always think of the Force as being so powerful, mm. and it's not just to do with one thing either, yeah. which is uh, You've got Magneto. options. Yeah, you control yeah. the Force, you've got options. Yeah, that's it. Um, I'm not so sure. I think it depends on the setting, like where they actually fight. Mm. If it's on a ship, then Magneto's got a lot to work with. Uh, <laughs> if it's on a planet... Not so much, but then how often is Darth Sidious just in the countryside? He's just yeah. visiting the Gungans again. <laughs> I mean, if if they're in the middle of a completely plastic environment, then we're going to probably have to say Darth Sidious. Yeah, but it's pretty difficult to get a plastic... <laughs> Remember the prison that they had for Magneto? <laughs> and even then, like, he took the iron out of that guy's blood. So. <laughs> yeah. so my initial thought as well was Darth Sidious. Um, I have to admit, the more I thought about it, though, the less... I favoured Sidious in this battle. Yeah, you got to just remember how powerful Magneto can be and he like lifts stadiums and bridges and stuff like that. He's incredibly yeah. powerful. I mean, we're he talking is. about someone who's uh, stalemate at the Phoenix. You know, someone who's resisted doom. This is a guy who has an enormous amount of power. I mean, in, in the Marvel comics, he's considered one of the most powerful mutants on Earth. He's got that helmet so that people can't read all his naughty thoughts. Well, this is this is different things that I thought about. I mean, I was thinking about because I was to say my initial thought was Darth Sidious would win with the Force. So I was thinking, well, what attacks would Darth Sidious have at his disposal well, in a one-on-one combat? Well, he gets a, a lightsaber out of his sleeve and then goes <laughs> and spins at them. <laughs> That's assuming that he doesn't just. Um, Magneto doesn't just switch his lightsaber on while it's still attached to his belt and impale his leg. Yeah, I was thinking the lightsaber might be out of the question when he's fighting Magneto. Well, this is it. I thought the lightsaber, you know, a metal weapon is not going to work against Magneto. Mm. So let's take the lightsaber out of the question. Force lightning. The other thing Darth Sidious is known for deploying, force lightning. Um, well, that's a, the electromagnetism. Let's assume that this is working on a similar weight to normal that's lightning. one of that's one of the things i looked up yeah is forced lightning actually electrical lightning and apparently it is yeah it's yeah. just like the force producing this electrical lightning that's coming out the thing fingertips so obviously that's an electromagnetism i'm very glad you researched that because i considered that question and just made an arbitrary decision that it was. That's so, what I'm here for. I'm yeah. here to, to catch it when you drop the ball and, well. I, <laughs> and you make assumptions and I do the research. So, yeah. But So, this is what I was thinking yeah. though because um, lightning is... the electromagnetism Because of the electromagnetism in, in lightning, mm-hmm. it's the way that lightning works, Yeah, that's only going to charge Magneto's powers. Uh, yeah. Well, so, surely the more he... The more force lightning the Emperor brings to bear on Magneto the more powerful Magneto is going to become. Is he a battery? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he heals in mag- electromagnetic energies. I'm sure that happened in one it. comic that I read. Wow. So, you know, 
as I'm thinking that at the very least, it's not going to harm him. That's what I was thinking. Could he be harmed by the Force Lightning? Mm. And I decided no, because it's electromagnetism, and like he could easily shield that. And mm. I remember when, I think it might have been Mace Windu, or somebody used the lightsaber to mm. block the force lightning. So yeah. I thought, well, if that works, then Magneto could easily do it. The other, th- another thing I thought was um, my- mind tricks, different things that you can do using the force. Helmet. The helmet. Which I think that that's just going to stop that straight away. Mm-hmm. So other powers that the emperor could deploy might include essence transfer. Yeah. Is the ability to swap, essentially swap bodies, but presumably that would work. That the helmet would stop that just the way it would other mind tricks. Yeah, it's an anti pseudoscience helmet. Yeah, <laughs> it really helps with that. And um, even aside from that, in the in the comics, Magneto has resisted different types of possession. So let's just oh, assume right that that's not. And even in the Star Wars universe, there have been people who have resisted essence transfer. Uh, it kind of goes based on the strength of the person's mind. Mm. Um, unless the person has quite a pliable mind, that's why the Emperor uses clones I know that, um, that he can the, imprint uh, himself on. Um, I know that the uh, that Magneto has got the strength of will. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, that I don't think is going to work. So I was thinking, you know, the Emperor could use the Force to pick things up and throw them at Magneto. But Magneto has the Magneto can just stop them in midair or do the same thing back to him. Right back at him. Have a stadium. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got these two incredibly powerful beings, and I think really it comes down to one factor alone. Because which one is the Senate? the Emperor. (laughs) (laughs) Which one is the Senate, and which one can throw the Senate? um, Because the Emperor has the ability to use like life drain. Using the force, yeah. but that's a quite a slow, and I can't think Magneto would have any defense against it. But it's a slow power, so yeah. and Magneto is not just going to stand there and take it. So I think it comes down to ultimately, it, can Sidious use like a force choke on Magneto quicker than Magneto can tear him apart using the iron in his blood? Now you mentioned that earlier. From one, from I'm not sure that's X-Men only films. because that mystique kept injecting that guy with iron, with extra metal. Well, so, yeah. even minuscule amounts of metal he could control. Yeah. So you could, like all comic characters, his powers vary yeah. <laughs> in strength and degree. <laughs> well, I think I think we don't need to put up a like a may not be accurate science warning on our uh, on our show. <laughs> yeah, if anyone yeah. if anyone's looking at this for real scientific accuracy. Then you know, I, th- I think you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, we we can cite our sources. Yeah, <laughs> it's the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that's really what it's com- going to come down to, because both of these are incredibly powerful. Both of them have amazing feats in Magneto for the comics and for Sidious, and particularly in the expanded universe, is mm. an incredibly powerful person. But I think ultimately it's going to come down to this sole thing because everything else is going to be countered by one or the other of them. Yeah, this is the Whereas thing. I can't see Magneto having a defence against a force choke and I can't see Sidious defending against um, Magneto manipulating the iron in his, his body. No. So I think it's going to come down to a speed. Now, when you think about in, um, in Star Wars, is the classic scenes of Vader force choking people on Star Destroyers. Yeah, and it is a slow thing. Is this a slow process? 
Yeah, but then he's he's being a jerk. He's wanting <laughs> people to know they're dying. <laughs> there, there is that. There is that. Um, I think as well, though, that would be the case for the Emperor. Because he'd think he's got he's got a victory. Oh, yeah. That and force he's... lightning on Luke was slow. Yeah. He's a sadist. Yeah. An absolute sadist. And that's where one of the things I think is going to uh, sway this. Because if Sidious thinks he can force choke Magneto, I think he would be slow because he's going to enjoy exercising that power over Magneto. Mm. Whereas Magneto, although he is typically portrayed as a villain, is not... He does have, you know, an element of morality. There is strong moral reasons for his actions. If you look at it from his point of view, and he's not that, yeah. someone that w- is likely to make someone, su- you know, he- he's not one that wants people to suffer. If he's going to fight you and try and kill you, he's going to do it as quickly as he can. He's going to do it. He's going to be efficient too. Yeah. He's got those grassroots movement for mutants, hasn't mm. he? Basically, um, one thing I just thought of: Would he? Con- do you think he might consider? Sidious to be a mutant because of all the midichlorians. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, yeah, it's it, it's not exactly but just a standard human. Everybody has midichlorians in their systems. Uh, so, and and I hate the fact that you've made me say midichlorians. But <laughs> but when you think about the midichlorians, everybody has them in different amounts, don't they? So I never saw them as being an annoying thing. I never saw them as being something new that's for the prequels because it's, it's I not, learned about them in the expanded just universe. I just think it's a really strange word. Yeah, it sounds a l- yeah. I know they're. Going and it's hard for to say it without thinking of Jar Jar. It's just halfway between mitochondria and chloroplast type thing. Mm. Chloroplast. Yeah, it's that's the kind of thing anyway. An organelle. Yeah. Speaking of Jar Jar, <laughs> <laughs> I know we never are, but um, <laughs> one of the things I looked up about was uh, sort of about Force Lightning, and one thing is that it can be stopped by a Gungan shield. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought. <laughs> What, a, 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 an actual Gungan <laughs> as a shield? Yeah, well, no, no, no. no <laughs> just Jar Jar strapped to your have. arm. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Maybe he could use a Gungan shield to go <laughs> fight him. Yeah. No, that would turn the tide a bit. Um, but Well, it would make me less have less empathy for Magneto, I think. Yeah, I suddenly... <laughs> yeah. I kind of thought... That kind of made me think, that well, Force Lightning isn't such a big deal anymore. Mm. I'm not going to think of that as being a threat because it can't kill Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. <laughs> Is that our new level? Yeah, yeah. Can it kill Jar Jar? Can it kill Jar Jar? Because <laughs> yeah. if, if, it, if it can't, if you can't kill a Gungan, yeah, then, then uh, really you have to really think about your life yeah. <laughs> and your empire. So it's something to do with what situation they'd be in when they're yeah. fighting. And I just kind of picture it being on that bridge of the Death Star because for some reason I don't think of the Emperor being on Earth fighting Magneto Mm. in like an X-Men setting. I think of the Emperor on the bridge of the second Death Star for some reason, I don't know why, and then Magneto turning up wanting to... uh, to kill him for some reason, which is probably something to do with mutants' rights. Or a scrapping in the Senate. Could be in the Senate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's an earlier one like that. It could be on Coruscant, which in which case he'd have more things to throw at him. I think so, yeah. the obviously the obvious advantage of from that point of view being able to pick up and throw stuff. Uh, I'd say that the Emperor has the advantage in there because he can pick up and move anything using the Force, whereas Magneto is restricted to metallic objects. Yeah, but so many things. It's like, I'm not mentioning where, is it normal or metal? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, metal things are going to, they're going to get thrown at you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just think, 
it, you know, if you put him, put the two of them in a forest, no metal anywhere, Kashik. then obviously, if it was all about who can pick up things and, ca- and you know, chuck them at the other, it's going to be the Emperor. Mm. But that's still not going to bypass that ultimate attack of using the person's own yeah. the iron in the person's bloodstream. I was just thinking about if it's toe-to-toe and it's just the two of them, then I think Magneto would win. Mm. Um, because there's just m- he is more of a combat character. Mm. He does, he has his kind of, his gang of mutants and he has used his um, his drive and charisma mm. and everything to get them together to be able to uh, try to fight for, for the mutants. Whereas the Emperor has spent years in the shadows kind mm. of manoeuvring things behind the scenes. And just the fact that he's had to do things that way mm rather than be the head of a movement the way that Magneto has. It just makes me think that Magneto is more of the physically imposing kind of one. Mm. I think he would win. I mean, the Force just seems so overpowered, but Magneto's personal Mm. kind of mutation um, is also very, very powerful. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Magneto for this, Mm. but... It's a fight that I would love to see, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was thinking about it, because, as I say, the, the Emperor has done some incredible feats in the expanded universe mm. uh, for Star Wars. Uh, and I, it made it made me realise just how powerful, as I, as I was looking up some of his feats that he'd done, just how powerful that he is. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, he could have done a, a lot more damage in the films, for example. It would have yeah. been great to have seen him do some of those things. It's not all watching but operas and, no. and corrupting teenagers. No. <laughs> um, but at the same token, so many of the things that I saw, like there was um, one feat that he did where he, he, with one burst of force lightning, more like a force storm, he, he wiped out like 4,000 enemy troops or something like mm. that. But again... That's going to be useless against Magneto. Yeah, he's like and a one-man Faraday cage. <laughs> it's yeah. it's kind of like he's the anti-Sidious. Yeah. Because yeah. so many of the things that I would think, okay, the Emperor's got this he could do. I mean, he's a fantastic swordsman. I mean, you, you saw him against Yoda. Yeah. You know, he saw him take out four Jedi. <laughs> well, it's looking really creepy while he does yeah. it. It's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and... It, you know, when I saw first saw that scene, I thought, "Wow, what a dude!" <laughs> you know, I did not realise how how good, uh, handy he was with a lightsaber. But again, bringing a metal weapon against the master of magnetism mm. is just not going to work. It's not the way to go, dude. You got to rethink your life. The power of his mind and the things that he can do using the Force phenomenal. But when you've got someone that's immune to telepathy, it's it's kind of I didn't think putting these two together would go that way i didn't think oh well you know you know magneto is going to be able to counter pretty much everything that the emperor does we sometimes surprise ourselves with this i went into this expecting an epic battle in which Mm. sidious would win because he's got so many advantages because Mm. of the force but it's kind of like every single thing that i could think of for him to do magneto has got the perfect counter for so it ultimately as i say came down to how quickly can uh, he use his force choke, which I think is his most effective weapon against Magneto, and how quickly he choose to use that force choke? Because as I say, I can see him thinking that he's going to make the guy suffer, like he he does when he's force lightning Luke, mm. uh, you know, and torturing Luke. Whereas Magneto is just going to go for the instant quickest kill, which is yeah. going to be tearing him apart from the inside. 
<laughs> Which, uh, I mean, brutal, thought, brutal, man. but... Um, no, I, I just thought of the... Uh, I can just see Vader going, where's the Emperor? I'm going, over there, over there, over there, over there. <laughs> no, no, I just thought of him suddenly, he's like choking him, and then he's just going like, where's my hemoglobin? Yeah. It's all out there. And then, then just falling down dead. Yeah. That, that's what I imagined more than the tearing apart. Because it's a little bit more like what actually happened in X-Men, isn't yeah. it? When he drew, drew it all out. Or use it to just use the iron in the bloodstream to just like kill the heart or something like that he's just there's so many ways that he you could... think of it more grisly <laughs> well it doesn't have to be the emperor literally exploding but no but that's know. what you said it didn't have to be that but that's where you went it's where it's what i made it it's what i made it but yeah. i do think as i say ultimately and i am quite surprised at this because as i say i think of the force as giving you so many options and sidious is so powerful and i think if we put him against you know, so many other characters from the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe, I'd have probably been saying Sidious. I just didn't realise how much of a um, anti-Sidious Mag- Magneto was. Well, I have to say that this has been very eye-opening mm. for me, and I think I just have to go and stare at a lake for a while and rethink my life. And seek the solitude and the calmness of the Force. I'll be back in about a month. See ya. I don't know who you are. But we're the Middlesome Meeples, and it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. Welcome to Tone Talk, and this week Matt is going to talk about one of the City Watch books from Terry Pratchett, Guards Guards. That's right. Now, this is the first in the City Watch uh, series. There's a, a set of eight books in this uh, set, isn't there? Starting, I've never counted them, actually. Starting yeah. with uh, Guards Guards and ending with Snuff. Yes. And uh, this one was actually the first book was released in 1989. Now it's the first w- book of the gu- of the City Watch books, which used to be a trilogy. Yeah, <laughs> hence this handy sized omnibus. So now it's a um, octilogy or something. But it's not the first book of the Discworld series. Yeah, is it? Which one, is it? That the fifth or sixth or what? Oh. I think it's some something like the eighth, seven, eight, something like oh, that. I'm not yeah. sure exactly. What was the fourth, and then sort of the with then it was witches abroad so yeah yeah but you don't need to have been um familiar with any of the other yeah they, world books they don't to get exactly to this. follow one do they no <laughs> they're not as long as as long as you follow the watch books in in order and this is the first one then that's mm-hmm. that's fine now i would say actually this is quite different from or the in these the City Watch books as a set are quite different from the other Discworld books. Yes, they are. Because mm. they have a lot more plot structure mm. than the other Discworld novels. Because they, especially the early ones, are quite crazy and they're all over the place, aren't they? I mean, yeah, they're the, good. The early ones are more adventures, aren't they? Mm. I mean, it's it's like it's like uh, that the normal the the ones before were like Star Trek original series, <laughs> and the City Watch is like DS Nine. Yeah. So all in one place, and you can actually get to know the characters, follow it. Yeah. Mm. That's how I see it anyway. That's a fairly good analogy. I mean, funny enough, nerdy though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're not familiar with the Discworld books, they are in a fantasy setting, but they're not traditional fantasy books because they are more comic in nature. It's like they're a parody. Very much a, yeah. Um, I mean, the Terry Pratchett said with regards to the uh, City Watch books and Guards Guards that. His idea for this was based on the on the fact that in normal fantasy books, you, the hero or one of the other characters basically goes into a city 
and you have these uh, guards that are basically just there to be cut down by, mm. you know... They're just popping up the door frame until <laughs> yeah. it's time for them to get cut down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, that, and this was meant to be a, uh, looking at those guys that we usually see get cut down or as a backdrop to the story. Oh. This is their story. <laughs> no one ever thinks about the henchmen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, so it's kind of like a procedural uh, story set in a fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because in the first bu- book... The watch has only got the four mem- four members, mm. three at the start because you've got the uh, one of them has just died, and um, p- part of the story of Guards Guards is that the new member goes in, brings them back up to the strength of four, and changes the watch around them. So the new one is Carrot, isn't it? New one's yeah, C- Corporal Carrot. This uh, is the Carrot. first time I've had any Lance crossover. Corporal Carrot. Yeah. Now I already have, I have read this book as well, but. A very long time ago. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but this is, it's strange because it's the first time in Tone Talk that we've, it's one that we've both read, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's quite possibly so. Yeah. And, uh, but in this, you've got uh, Captain... I mean, obviously we don't want to go into spoilers, but you've got Captain Vimes, who mm-hmm. is quite like the cynical cop. Uh, still quite sharp, but he's he's been in the watch from being a young lad. Mm-hmm. And he's seen the watch basically dismantled around him. Seen the, right. uh, the guild's... Of you know, like the, the thieves' guild, uh, etc., the assassins' guild mm. come up, and that's basically made him feel what's the point of us? Mm. Because they've the way that um, the patrician of the city, Lord Vetinari, has kept the guilds, has kept crime and o- other things in line, yeah. is by scaling back the guards and giving um, like authority to the. Various like thieves and things, yeah. yeah. So they police themselves. They basically. police themselves, yeah. but they maintain like a quota, and yeah. basically any unlicensed, unlicensed thieving is dealt with fairly brutally by the thieves' guild, mm. which helps maintain that quota. So there's less need, in theory, for the guards. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's seen all that, and he's become quite cynical, um, quite drunk. quite dr- a drunkard, <laughs> a lot of the time. But he's still quite sharp in and of himself when he's sober. Yeah. The bit I remember most about it is the clutchy and coffee. That's yeah. not one, isn't it? Because yeah. it has to bring him back to sobriety. It goes but... the other way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's like you become too sober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a good bit. Um, so he's one of the four main characters. Then you've got um, Sergeant Colon, mm-hmm. who is quite a fat, lazy, incompetent so-and-so, he's described as in the in the book. He's a classic sergeant in TV. Yeah. Book. Not not that, not, that, the... not that they're not It's that the um, he yeah feels that he's very important, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. So he has a lot of un. He's got of confidence, but it's not very well founded. <laughs> so... It's kind of funny because I mean I read a lot of historical fiction, and in a lot of them, the sergeants are absolutely brilliant, and they the officers wouldn't get by without the sergeants. So, mm-hmm. for example, Sharp is a good example of that. Yeah. Um, but in this, it's it's very much the other <laughs> extreme of so- sergeants where yeah. actually the watch would probably function a lot better if it wasn't for Sergeant Colon. Mm. And then you've got Corporal Nobby Nobs, haven't you, who is just an absolute crooked little thief. Yeah, well, they um, need someone for Colon to be the sergeant of, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you've got Carrot coming in, who's uh, he's honest, he's idealistic... He is by the time he starts, he's reading the uh, laws and ordinances of Ankh-Morpork Pork and mm. following them to the letter. Yeah, he's going by the book, isn't he? Yeah, yeah um, but he's 
got such a nice way about him with people that somehow it works. Yeah. Uh, one quote that I read about him was quite interesting because it talked about how his policing style is quite reminiscent of like the traditional idealised portrayals of like the British Bobby. Right, he's a you know, sort of the friendly guy walking mm. down the street saying hello to people who knows mm-hmm. everybody in the neighbourhood. That sort of yeah, because he does learn everybody's names, doesn't yeah, he? Like, pretty much in the whole city. <laughs> That's one of the things that um, quite early on, I think, it mentions that Vimes says, you know, I've lived here all my life. You've been here five minutes, and everybody knows who you are. Sort of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a really interesting um, story here as well. Now, it, the story itself is very much a fantasy-based story. In the sense that there's a dragon. Yeah, it's more fantasy than most of the City Watch books, isn't it? It, it kind of kicks off with a more fantasy version. And yeah. then uh, in later books, it goes more to. Um, it's more about the people. Yeah. It's always the a people. more out and out, straightforward crime, crime story, story. Yeah. Like murders and things, things that they're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, in later books, moves more into a story. There's still all that there, but it the family element becomes stronger. So you've got one of the characters, and we won't say who for the sake of um, spoilers, but one of the characters in later books has a family, and that becomes more and more of a predominant theme that he's trying to juggle his family responsibilities while dealing with the responsibilities of being the watchman and an officer. And uh, that makes it... for. A different feel, but I still loved all of those books. Well, it has to advance, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, so you can't it, have them being the same. So, yeah. yeah, and it's it, it's an interesting progression for that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and for all of the characters, and they expand, so you've got more than just the four characters in the story. But this is the only one of the books where it is just that traditional yeah. four. They end up having like a representative of most of the species on Discord, don't they? Like, yeah. So that nobody feels like they aren't represented in the watch. Mm. Um yeah, for like the the PR of being able to please, and it ends up being very much about kind of the, the red tape and stuff, yeah. and trying to balance keeping the peace with um, keeping all the ordinances, like like Carrot would be in, into, and like having different initiatives in the watch. It, it's so much about like basically policing, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, one one of the things uh, this isn't just really a spoiler because you find this out very early on in the book. Um, the backdrop for all of this is that. There's this uh, group called the Unique and Supreme Lodge of the Elucidated Brethren of the Ebon Knight. Because there's lots of secret societies in Angmorepore. Did you write that down? I had to write that down, so I got it right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I cheated, but there was reasons. Uh, The Unique and Supreme Lodge of the Elucidated Brethren of the Ebon Knight. Now, the main bit I remember about that is the doorman. Yeah, they have... trying to get in at the door <laughs> and get the password. And that's a, that's a great That's team. quite a funny one, and that's yeah. right at the beginning of the uh, book, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, but this group has been set up by uh, the Supreme Grand Master of the group, and he is basically using them to summon a dragon into the city so that the people will need a hero to f- to, say, to, f- you know, to slay the dragon, to send the dragon away. And then he can make that person the king and control him. Yeah, don't, so don't it's do kind too of... much more about that. Because... No, we're not saying any more. But it's fun. To, it's fun to work out while you're reading it. Yeah, yeah. I think you get the you get that from the the plot, right, you know, right at the beginning of the story that that's what his his goal is ultimately. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's quite fun to see how he develops that 
plot and that scheme. Yeah. Um, and how that works out for him in the end is very good as well. The other great bit about in this book is the stuff about the million to one chance. Yeah. It's like if if it's something it's a million, a million to, one, to chance, one chance, but it, but it must, just might work. And you have to actually say it, and you have to make sure it is a million to one chance, otherwise it won't work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so they end up trying to make things more difficult for themselves, yeah. don't they? So it's some million to one chance. Yeah. That was a great bit. There's a, that's fantastic in there. Mm. But the characters themselves are brilliant. I mean, Kara and um, Vimes particularly are really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see them see these characters portrayed as a TV series, which I know there were plans at one point to do, but seems to have fallen by the wayside. Mm. Um and same for Nobby and Colon, because I think just the dialogue of, of them on patrol and their interactions with one another. Mm. Um, particularly because Colon has got this idea of him being the wiser, the more, the more intelligent one of the two. Mm-hmm. But whenever you actually read through the comments, it's quite obvious that Nobby know, <laughs> Nobby's got more about him than Colon. Yeah, Nobby's quite streetwise into it. Really. Yeah, he just kind of gets on with stuff, but he's always stealing things while he's doing <laughs> <Yeah>. it. So. <laughs> so they are, you know, very good characters, and the story itself is good. I would say if you if you like comic, com- you know, comedy in your books, then the Discworld is great. I do know some people who have picked up Discworld books before because they liked fantasy, uh, started reading it, and actually didn't enjoy it because they were expecting it to be a more serious fantasy book and it wasn't so you also have to like jokes yeah you do have to like reading jokes I think you have to like jokes more than you like fantasy really yeah I mean I love fantasy I don't tend to read many comedies because I I prefer to watch comedy usually Mm. but I love the way that Pratchett winds his humour throughout and the little plays on words that he does but I'm I'm more yeah I I enjoy Discworld books but not much of the fantasy so yeah for me it's the but I, I do kind of it's not not to me. It's not just the jokes. They're great stories as well. Yeah, and, uh, and but I just like all the characters. And more so, I think for me in the City Watch because I've read all of the Discworld books and I enjoyed all of the Discworld books. Um, but I felt with this, there was just there was more story to it. So, although the humour was sort of scaled back slightly to accommodate the fact that there was more plot structure, it well, was it still to be grim murders as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. It was still really funny and it still made me laugh. So. Mm-hmm. I think this it's not as zany as the early books, but no. later on, all of them seem to have very strong story elements to them. That's I, what I found. Anyway. I enjoyed the early books, but I did find that they were too zany. So you'd mm. get like entire passages, and you knew that the the reason for those passages was just to make a joke at the end. Yeah, yeah um, you did. And as a result, the plot sort of suffered for that. I think it was but... only the first two, for me, that were, were like that. Mm. Rincewind's initial kind of journeys around the Discworld. Rincewind's journeys were just insane yeah, in the early yeah. books. They were crazy. And I, I liked his later ones, like when he went to 4X. The, the one <laughs> yeah. That was really good. And um, and the Aegean continent. Mm. That was quite scary. But yeah, it was it was good though. Yeah. The, the thing that I really loved about the early books was um, Two Flowers Luggage. Mm, the luggage yeah. was great. But yeah, so this is one I, I'm thoroughly recommending if you if you like fantasy and if you like comedy. Uh, I think even you wouldn't really need to enjoy normal sort of police procedural uh, stories to enjoy this because yeah, but this it's, is because it's UK, just fun. Everybody loves mystery. <laughs> well, yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I really enjoyed this. This is one of my uh, favourites. I it's been adapted quite nicely in in times as well. Um, it's a very good BBC radio drama, 
Um, and I have don't to... get good ones of them every day. No, and um, I really like the audiobooks for these as well. Mm. Is it fact... Tony Robinson doing it? Um, is that a different one? No, that's a different one, I think. Oh, yeah. But um, I tend to get the audiobooks for the series and listen to all eight books on audiobooks yeah. once a year. I do that with the uh, Science of the Discord ones. There's four of them. And they also feature some of the same characters. Mm. Uh, the luggage especially. Because you yeah. can send into any dimension. So <laughs> and you can collect samples. <laughs> but, so, t- yeah, Matt recommends this book. And uh, as a one-time thing, I also recommend it as well. So both <laughs> of us on. can this time. Is that allowed? <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> we write the rules on this. Yeah, it's our podcast. We can do it what we want. <laughs> yeah. So two recommendations for <clears throat> Guards Guards by Terry Pratchett. Incidentally, I really there's not one of the books in the uh, in that set of eight books that I didn't like. I'll say that now. I probably oh, won't okay. probably won't uh, talk about another one at a later time. But there's not a book in there that I didn't enjoy, mm. and they are different. They are different enough from one to another that you never feel like it's a rehash of the earlier stories. So it's it's thoroughly recommended. And joining us today, a very special guest. Hello, Key. Hey. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Where are you at, Matt? I'm in Nottingham. Robin Hood country, that sounds great. Yeah. Where about to see you? I'm in Gothenburg, you know, in the southwest of Sweden. I hear it's a beautiful place. It is really cool, and it's actually the, the rock and roll city of, of Sweden, I would say, you know, traditionally. It's a working class city with, you know, a great tradition in hard rock. Yeah, it's one of, one of the places I've always wanted to visit. Bands are, always seem to be playing at. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's got a pretty, pretty interesting history as well. I mean, it was once upon a time, it was a Dutch colony. So uh, before they, you know, uh, rearranged the, the, the city, you know, it was like little Amsterdam, a lot of canals and stuff all over the place. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us today, Key. Uh, first off, just to start off, I wanted to ask, your latest band, Key of Hearts, it's got you on lead guitar, Tommy Hart of Fear Warning on vocals, Ken Sandin of Alien on bass, and Alessandro Dalvecchio on keyboard. So what brought you all together? How did th- that band form? The thing is, it was uh, the instigators were uh, Serafino and Mario at uh, Frontiers Records. And they had an idea of putting me and Tommy in the same band. And they, they pretty much called me and asked me what I, how I felt about that idea. And I thought it was a brilliant idea, which I never thought of myself, but now when I brought it up, it sounded like a great idea. We talked about it and, and we pretty much straight away started recording. Well, I, I brought Ken Sandin with me. He plays in Key Marcello band, so we go way back. We played together since 2000. So uh, he came along, and uh, I know of Alessandro Del Vecchio and uh, in earlier occasions. I was I'm signed to Frontiers with my with my solo band, so these were not strangers by any means. So that's how you all came together. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, now your album Key of Hearts was released on the fifteenth of September. How do you feel about the response to it so far? 
it's been amazing. I mean, it's been standing really well. Uh, I mean, not surprisingly, in, in the, some of the strongest uh, territories for fire warning in Europe, you know, like Asia and South America, but even in America. So it's doing surprisingly well. I don't know what we did expect, really. It's really hard nowadays to break a new band and expect to sell any units, but yeah. We're giving away units, so it's, it's looking good. Do you feel it's a bit easier to uh, break a new band, though, when you've got people that are already well-known from existing bands? I mean, Fair Warning are very popular. You've played with some very well-known, very big bands in the past as well. So that's that's got to help boost the interest, doesn't it? It definitely does. And, and I've been involved in, in other projects with, with famous names, but I think... Me and Tommy were kind of standout members of each of our bands, and I think people are curious about the combination. You know, how's the marriage between me and Tommy, so to speak? And and I think it really works. That was one of the things that surprised me that it felt like we've been playing together for ten years already. You know, which is always a good sign. You know, when things are effortless. The best music comes out of that. It does feel like you've both been able to bring your various styles to Key of Hearts. It's not like one person is dominating. No, that's true. That's also not a good thing. I mean, I've been, in, in, not to mention any names, but I've been in projects where, you know, one person color the project a lot, whilst the other sort of team tend to follow that direction. Right here, it was like a witch's brew from... From the get-go, we got in there, and then the mixture of the two was was the result. You know, how long went into like the writing and recording of the Key of Hearts album? Actually, we didn't write a whole de- a whole deal for this album. It's mostly Alessandro Del Vecchio and some outside writers. And I thought that was really interesting to get into a project not being the main writer, which I'm obviously used to. To go in with the, the guitar player's point of view and, and just dig into a new project, concentrating on the melody lines and uh, and getting the right arrangements for the guitar and all that. And so it's been 100% focus on melodies for this, you know. Because I know Alessandro also he produced, mixed, and recorded the album, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, and he's playing the keyboards, of course, you know. So he's putting, a, he's putting a big mark on this album, for sure. What's he like to work with? Oh, he's great. Really, really calm and nice and, uh, you know, easy to talk to, you know. Great. Never a problem in the world. When you listen to the Key of Hearts album, what's your favourite song on there, would you say? It varies right now. I mean, it's still kind of new for us. I mean, so... Right now, it's Mama Don't Cry. I think it's really interesting because it's got that verse, that big verse, sort of melodramatic almost, uh, very melodic in a Europe journey way. And then it goes into a, a, a more major sounding, you know, more positive chorus. And I think the contrast is very interesting. That's what I like most That's- right now. I'm glad you said that, because that's actually my favourite song on the album as well. Oh, really? Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what plans do you have to tour with Key of Hearts? Well, yeah, we're talking about it right now. We're getting a lot of offers uh, 
it, you know, because of uh, the success of the sales right now. So we, we're getting offers from South America, the US, uh, Southeast Asia, namely Japan, where both Europe and Fair Warning were really big. So it's looking really good right now. Uh, we have to, uh, with us right now, we're both busy. Tommy is right now in, in the States, and I'm working on a show which I'm going to do in November and December here in Sweden. So uh, uh, we're going to start working, thinking about this early next year, and we're aiming to uh, do some major festivals starting the summer of 2018 and then keep on touring during the fall. As well as guitars, on a lot of your solo albums, you've uh, sang lead vocals. So I was wondering, when you're working on a project, how do you decide whether to do the vocals yourself or bring in another singer? Do you have a particular process for that? Not really. I mean, sometimes it's a matter of writing a song and, and all of a sudden you're realizing, maybe I shouldn't sing this. Maybe this guy should sing it, you know? It, actually, the song will tell you, the project will tell you who's going to be on, on the record. It's kind of funny, you know? It's like uh, Keith Richards once said, you actually don't write the songs. They're in the air. You just take them down, you know? I like that you quote. Like fruit. <laughs> this is an inter interesting thought. But I think within the projects you're doing, uh, you feel which way it's going to take, you know, which direction. Now, I was reading the other day that your first band, Easy Action, was the first Scandinavian band to sign a worldwide label deal with the US label. Yeah. Can you tell us about, about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, back in the, the early 80s, uh, the music industry really, really didn't feel that bands that did not come from uh, the UK or America was credible, you know, when it came to rock and roll. The only exception being the Scorpions, and, and they, they broke by touring like crazy for decades before they got their first record major record in, in America and they actually opened up a lot of doors for us that it was around that time that uh, it opened up a little bit but Easy Action my then band was the first band to ever get signed by a US major label and we got signed by Seymour Stein which is a legend a Warner legend he signed Madonna and a lot of big acts he's one of those really you know, like Walter Yetnikov for Sony and Edwin Ertegan and uh, Clyde Davis. He's one of those names. And and the thing is, I'm not quite sure he even knew we were Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had an American Indian guy, Sonny Tandon, was our manager. And he sounded very American. And they met at Midem, you know, the, the music fair in these. And, uh, in Cannes, sorry. And... Uh, uh, we all had stage names. I mean, we, we all had Swedish names, but we changed the stage names with, for this product, Easy Action. So I'm not quite quite sure he ever knew that we were Swedish. And I'm also quite sure that the manager appreciated that if he was stressed that we were Swedish, maybe we, we would lose the deal, you know? You really so, think it would have had a negative impact? Oh, it definitely had back then. And I know loads of examples where people uh, got turned down because, I mean, oh, you guys from Scandinavia. Oh, all right. We'll call you. Don't call us. 
that kind of thing, you know? What do you think was the reason behind I mean, that? I think the credibility, first of all. Obviously, people weren't speaking English the same way they do today. And, uh, and, and also, logistically, it's cheaper to, you know, uh, have a, Brit a British band signed to mm. Virgin in Britain, you know, than flying people back and forth. But uh, with Easy Action, they started to do that. I mean, we're, we were signed to Warner, and the closest office was uh, in London, so they flew us back and forth all the time, and it seemed to work out all right. You do you know? feel that that then opened the gates for a lot of other bands to have the same op opportunity? Oh, absolutely. I mean, before that, it was nothing. You know, Not, in, not even HABA had a major label. I think that was partly by choice, because their manager was... They had a different idea of how to pursue uh, their careers. But, you know, uh, after we signed with Easy Action, then I think Europe was next, and then Treat, uh, Alien, 220 Volts, and, you know, all of them. So that was like uh, uh, the door opener. That's quite a major milestone, then, for Scandinavian rock. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Now, this is something I don't get to ask very often, but... Is it true that you race horses? <laughs> yeah. It's actually true. It's actually harness race driving. It's not that big in England. I know you're more into, uh, what is it, galop? When you're actually horseback riding, a, yeah. Horse. This is, you're sitting in a, in, a, in, a, in a wagon behind the horse, you know? So how did that come about? Well, it started with me being in a kind of silly TV show where celebrities compete, you know, trying to uh, learn how to become a harness race driver. And I won the whole thing, you know. It was a lot of different people, like uh, uh, some you know, Olympic uh, athlete, and it was an, an actor, and, you know, all kinds of different people. And for some reason, I, I looked like I had some sort of talent for this and, and I won the whole thing and after the show I actually got myself a license so I do this once in a while it's really difficult to get really good though it's like somebody would tell me you know I'm gonna learn how to play the guitar like you key next year I'm gonna be there where you're now it's not doesn't happen that way but to me it's like a hobby right now it's a very um what's the word it's a very unusual leap from lead guitars to horse racing <laughs> it is it's very 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 big leap from that but the thing is maybe that's the charm about it because it's completely different from my universe you know uh, venues and uh, backstage and arenas and then do something completely different go to the stables socialize with the horses you know, getting ready for races and all that. It's a completely different world, and it's really nice. I mean, it's like zen for me. You mentioned that this all started because of a TV show. I've heard yeah. that you met your wife while you were appearing on a TV show as well. Is that right? That, yeah, that's correct. It was actually a, a TV show called The Music Match or something like that, and I was competing uh, against Janne Schaffer and... Uh, uh, Mats Wilander, and, and those guys are both the guitar players of ABBA. And we were competing in this uh, sort of music quiz show, if you want. And um, she was the producer of that show. 
and I was I was living in Stockholm back then, and I was in Gothenburg for one day to record this show, and it it was just one of those. We said it was click, we clicked, and that was it. That's twenty two uh-huh. years ago. In English, we say love at first sight. Love at first sight. That's exactly what it was, actually. Now. I have to ask about your uh, time with Europe because I loved Prisoners in Paradise, and I love Superstitious. Um, but it was said oh. when Europe reunited that you weren't going to rejoin because of musical differences. But it's come out since then that there were issues with Joey and John, and there were financial issues too. Can I just ask, have those been resolved, and could you imagine yourself ever playing with Europe again? Actually, we're on the way of resolving the financial issues. Uh, a good start is that right now in, in America, uh, there's been a precedent case where performers actually get, you know, they get back the rights for their albums after 30 years. And the final countdown was uh, a couple of years ago, uh, 2016, and uh, next year is out of this world. Uh, so uh, that's a good start to, you know, we can go back and we can even do it an audit we don't know what the record company has been doing since uh, we quit, so to speak. So that's a good good start for that. And for sure, I could see myself doing something like a guest performance or anything like that, but I can never see myself going back into the band full time. Because oh, you're yeah. listening to Key of Hearts and some of your more recent stuff, you, it's definitely different to the material that Europe are doing now. Yeah, that that's we have some musical difference in, in, in terms of direction and all that, and that's not the kind of music I would like to play, you know. So that would be a no. But you know, if we did if we did like a sort of a uh, special occasion gig where we we, we would uh, perform Prison of Paradise or Out of This World songs, I'm all up for it. Why not? You know, with how things finished up with Europe looking back on your time with them do you still feel that was a positive experience for you oh yeah I mean obviously it was an amazing time and, and I would never want to be without it you know uh, it was from from the get-go it was just like a, uh, amazing like a, a dream come true and even when we called it hiatus in uh, 1993, I guess it was, a lot of people uh, wrongly wrote that was because of grunge. But the thing is, we were still selling millions of uh, units, you know. And if you do that, the record company they don't think they don't think about trends that way. They want to have a new album, so they were actually on our case and really wanted an album after *Prisoners in Paradise*. But we within the group, we were the ones that felt that maybe we didn't really feel at home within with the grunge scene at all. So we didn't see ourselves in, in, in the whole mix of it, of it all, you know? So uh, we decided to call it ideas. But the record company, they were on our case to get a new album. Because that was about the time you started to be, pursue your solo career, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I started around then, and in '95 was the, I released the first solo album, Shine On. Yeah. Now I just wanted to ask about your book because you've 
you released an autobiography called The Rock Star That God Forgot. Um, can I just ask what made you decide yeah. to write that? Well, the thing is, so it's sort of a no-brainer. I mean, uh, I've been experiencing a lot of stuff and uh, some really groundbreaking stuff to be a, a Swedish musician. So I just felt like I wanted to sh share my experiences, and, and both good and bad. I mean, I didn't really want to leave anything out. I just wanted to tell the story like I experienced it. Uh, so I wrote it in my very particular way of speaking Swedish, which is kind of hard to explain, but I come from the north of Sweden, but I sort of grew up in Stockholm as well. But, you know, basically I'm a hick that, that went to the big city when I was in my teens. So I speak like a mixture of Umeå accent, Stockholm slang, and then American uh, corporate bullshit and music uh, business lingo. So the language I use in the book has proven to be very difficult to translate. That's why it's not out in English yet. I had three translators having a go at the material and this doesn't cut it. Nothing made it, you know. But it's also why, it's, why it became a bestseller in Sweden because it's, it's really different. Because no. it was a very open book, wasn't it? I mean, I've not been able to read it because I, I can't read the, the Swedish translation. But I've seen a few excerpts that have been uh, published. And it, it details right. uh, like your problems with Europe and with substance abuse. Was it difficult to write openly about those things? Not really. I mean, uh, um, I had to give the family hands up before it was released, obviously, you know, what was going to happen. But... I'm quite convinced my kids didn't think I was uh, knitting backstage <laughs> back in the Europe. So uh, that was really not the hard part of the pro process at all. Now you wrote in there, for example, about uh, coca cocaine and sex, right. drugs and rock and roll is was a big part of the industry back then. But what advice would you give to, say, a young musician just leaving school, entering the industry? What advice would you give him to avoid those pitfalls? Don't start. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's, it's today. It's even you know, it's, well, as accessible as it was back then. Back then, it was trivialized, especially in America. I mean, people thought people thought about cocaine as they think about. Energy drinks today, basically. It was something, a party opener, you know, that's what it was. But today it's very accessible, and, and I think, uh, you know, uh, the general feeling I have is some people are trying to downsize the importance of uh, doing cocaine, but it's, it's really bad for you. You know, you should never get started doing that. And it, it really slows everything up. Although the world is, it feels like the world is spinning faster, but you're, you're slowing down. You're getting, you're not getting things done. If you really want to think about your career, don't do it. You know, concentrate on the career instead. Become a workaholic. That's the same thing, but much more fun. Good advice. Now, thinking of your career so far, what would you say have been the biggest highlight or the proudest moments of your career and what would you describe as the biggest challenge that you faced in your career? Well, the biggest highlights is, is possibly, you know, uh, the first time you go on a real big stadium tour, you know, 
with with all that comes with it, you know, uh, that was almost unreal. That was I was like we're looking back at it, back at it right now. When I, I remember feeling, wow, this is I'm living my dream right now. This is exactly what I wanted, but only ten times bigger. I would never have imagined that must have been you know uh, somewhere 1988 perhaps you know, and also the fact that I met all my you know idols and talk to them like friends, like equals, that, that was also mind-blowing, you know. It was like everybody else. I started off as a teenage kid in my room, you know, turning my shitty guitar into a shitty amp, trying to, you know, learn some riffs from my favorite records. That's like, that's like how a lot, a lot of people get started. And now I was there. And the difficult thing is probably to... Uh, you know, to maintain the quality. Once you're up there, you know that you have to redo it, but in a different way. On, on the first albums of any project you do, you have like years and years of ideas that you put into one album. And then you have to do pretty fast a follow-up album. And then you have no time at all to do a, an even better album with a slightly different angle. And I think that is very challenging every time I'm exposed to it. Do you feel when you've got that kind of pressure on you that it almost makes it more difficult to produce good material? Yes, I don't like that pressure at all, you know, and, and nowadays I try to not involve myself in, in, in projects where I'm at risk for being exposed to those to that kind of pressure, you know. Uh, uh, that's that has been a fantastic thing with Key of Hearts since, I mean, the key word for Key of Hearts is effortless. Everything has just been like running water. I mean, we, we started working on this album and before we knew it, it was finished. And it turned out exactly like we wanted it. That's amazing. <laughs> Not a lot of product works that easy, you know. It's, uh, I suppose, the fact that you've we're very familiar with uh, Ken. You've worked together before. That must help contribute oh, to yeah. that as well. Oh, definitely. It was my suggestion to bring bring Ken into the mix. I mean, we've been working since 2000. And we're like brothers, you know. We don't have to talk. We just play and, you know, we're like midi fight. You want to talk <laughs> keyboard lingo. Like connected, you know, electronically or psychologically it really works when we play theater can i just ask what projects are you working on at the moment right now i'm writing for a show called rock the night which is my first show I, you know I, I i was in rock of ages the swedish production of rock of ages uh we did several uh, uh pieces of that in stockholm and Gothenburg. and a after that i worked on a, a concert version of rock of ages without the theatrical bit just the music from it, and uh, you know, for Rock of Ages in Sweden, they wrote me a part in it where I'm playing myself. I you heard that? that because you're basically a, a yeah. household name in Sweden. Yeah, yeah. And when they offered me to play in Rock of Ages, they, you know, they flew me to London, and we saw we saw the production there. And after I said, well, I can't really see myself in there because in, their, in, the, in the British production, the band is visible on stage, you know? 
they were in the dark pretty much for the entirety of the show. So I told them, this is not really my thing. I'm, I'm in front of stage or not. And then they told me, no, 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 we're not going to do it like that. You're gonna, we're going to write you a part where you're going to play yourself. You're going to be key on stage. And I was like, what? Is that even legal? Can you just take like a, a, a Broadway show and rewrite it and put new characters in there? That's yeah. incredible. We're cool. That must have yeah, been a, a real amazing moment to be a part of. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I'm playing myself now back then. But, you know, who <laughs> wants to argue? <laughs> it's a great idea anyway. And, and the audience loved it. So from that moment, I sort of became part of the whole Rock of Ages thing. And we did loads of tours with, with Rock of 80s, which is the spin-off thing, the concert thing. And we did arenas and, uh, and theaters and all kinds of stuff. And now this November, December, I'm doing my first, the first show of my own, which I'm producing. Me and my wife is producing it. And I'm writing and doing the whole, I'm doing the whole dialogue and everything in it, you know? So it's me and two other singers and a, a comedian uh, and, the, and the full key Marcelo band. It's going to be loads of fun. We're doing uh, 12 to 14 shows uh, in Helsingborg in Sweden. And the first 12 shows, they released the tickets and every ticket is gone. It's sold out. And the premiere is 17th of November. So you know it's wow, going good. That's... Sold out early then. Do you think you'll be adding more yeah, shows? I think so. The pressure's going to be high. I mean, you can only get one ticket here and one on some of the shows. And, and I mean, I think uh, it's going to be a demand for more tickets. And why not? Go for know? it. Yeah. So, one one last question. What's your favorite song to play live? You mean from uh, Key of Hearts any or song. Any, any song? On stage. Wow. That's a pretty good question. Well, I have to say, I really enjoy playing Superstitious after all these years. Uh, it's just something about it. And, you know, it, the song itself is good. And actually, by now, the guitar solo is pretty much more famous than the actual song. So it's, it's always a, a trip watching the audience every time I go into that melodic solo. And, and a lot of people go, aha! You know, it's kind of a funny feeling, but it's always great. We turned our houses every night with that song. Brilliant. So, finally, is there anything like you'd like to say to your fans here in the UK? Oh, I just want to say thanks a lot to all my faithful fans in the UK. I hope to come back on tour soon. We're actually planning a tour early next year, but it doesn't seem like I'm going to be able to make it. I'm too busy right now. So, at least the fall of 2018, I'm hoping to come there with Key of Hearts. I mean, me and the fans in the UK go way back, and uh, I, it's all started at the, the Hammersmith Odeon. Well, now it's Hammersmith Hall. Uh, we did two sold-out Hammersmiths. That was my first experience of London and, and of the UK in general, and I'll never forget it. When I came to the theater, I was actually kneeling, kissing the floor, knowing that all my idols play on that same floor. The Purple, Black Sabbath, Uriah Led Zeppelin. It's an incredible venue. There's got a lot of history there. Yeah. And you can feel it in the walls. It's amazing. I love the Hammersmith. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you for taking time out to talk to us. You know, all the best for your shows in November and December. And we look forward to hearing more about your tour plans for next year. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for having me. And uh, hope to meet you when, when we come to the UK. Come find me and I'll get you a beer. Oh, that sounds amazing. Brilliant. We have- <laughs> thank you, Key. Take care, Matt. Cheers. So, thank you for joining us for episode 19. Uh, we really appreciate you coming in and uh, checking out our show. Mm. We want to thank uh, Key Marcelo for the interview as well. And we hope you enjoyed that just as much as we did. We hope you learned something as well, because we did. Yeah, we we learned a lot about Magneto, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. And a lot did. about Sidious. And I mean, that's just a good day. Yeah, yeah, when you can learn something about them. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. Well, we're going to bring you some more... Um, very life-changing facts next next uh, in two weeks. Yes, in our yeah. next episode. Mm. We don't know what those are going to be, but they'll be interesting. Yes, and more opinions on games. We're going to play some more games and then be very opinionated about them as well. So, twentieth episode. Are you doing anything special for our twentieth episode? What could we do that would be special for our twentieth episode? Fight to the death. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I get to drink whoever's beers left. <laughs> <laughs> what would we be fighting for? Respect. Yeah, well, for the 20th episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great achievement. We are not fighting for the hat. <laughs> I'd win. Yeah, yeah, okay. No, we have to think of Well, you'll never give up the hat. Yeah. <laughs> I have to think of something. But... Yeah, so thank you for listening to all our opinions on things. And uh, yeah, we will see you in the next one. Stay meddlesome. Bye. Farewell, Quester, and thanks for joining us. If you wish to avoid the wrath of Grayskarn the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples, instagram.com forward slash the meddlesomemeeples, or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at meddlesomemeeples. Until next time, Quester, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.